This is Dirt to Dollars, hosted by your local county extension agents, where we talk everything agriculture. Welcome back to Dirt to Dollars. This week is the week of June the 8th, and I'm here with my co-host, Daniel Carpenter in LaRue County and Matt Adams Hello. in Hardin County. and That's course, two weeks in a row with co-hosts. No, yeah. no. And, and I'm Whitney in, in Grayson County. But I don't know about you guys, but it has been a busy week for, for me especially. What about you all? A lot, of, lot going on and <laughs> a lot of things that have happened, you know, just in the last couple of weeks that are still hot on people's minds. And yeah. I think as, you know, we've had the – We've had Brian Lacefield and, and we had some uh, UK specialists come on and talk about CFAP. Mm-hmm. Was that been two weeks ago now? Yeah, it feels like uh, it's been forever ago, but it's only been two weeks. It's and still getting a lot of a lot of calls. I think I think there may be something to like people are getting out a little more mm-hmm. and maybe talking a little more and they're realizing, oh, you know, there's a payment program. I didn't realize that. Yes. So that I think the word is is spreading that way now that that there's a little more social. They're at, they're, they're at the six foot distance, but there's a little more socializing going on now that, that things yeah. are starting to open back up. Yep. Yes. So they're talking to their buddies and, and making phone calls and calling in. So I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm right there. And of course ours is next door. So we've had a, an influx of calls, you know, Hey, which, which office do I need to go to? And so we're, we're helping them the best that we can stay organized and help them out with, with where folks need to go. Well, the other issue we've had is last week we talked about cutting hay and and how all that is transpiring. And then I've had quite a few questions about temperatures of hay and when to kind of put it in the barn. And is it wet? Is it dry? Have you all? Yeah. And I think anytime there's that large of a percentage of the hay crop that was put up in that short of a window of time, you're going to have have some issues. I know some of the hay we bailed personally was... Yeah, you know, you'd think when it's 95 degrees and the sun mm-hmm. shining on it all the time, it's going to be as dry as it could be. But, you know, we ran into some stuff that was a little, little iffy as well. I don't claim to be a hay expert. I'm not a hay expert, actually. And I get hay questions. Generally, I'll call Matt because uh, he's got, <laughs> he's actually done it. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, I know what the book says. And, uh, sure. And based on what I know about humidity and curing of hay, I would have really thought, man, all that hay that got cut, curing conditions were perfect. Mm-hmm. And to, I was I was somewhat surprised by the amount of calls that I've gotten saying, "Hey, you know, we checked a few bales, and I'm I'm glad people are checking bales. It's good. Yes, it they're listening to us. But they checked a few bales, and it and it was it was pretty high moisture, um, mm-hmm. higher than they felt comfortable with. I, I guess I kind of after talking to Matt, I'm I'm sort of using the the saying, "When in doubt, leave it out." Yes. Yep. And Matt, do you want to talk a little bit about? All right. Yeah. And that's right. Most of the research shows that that hay is going to go through its peak heating within the first 14 to 21 days. So if you've got any doubts about it, your hay is really not going to degrade that much in two to three weeks. Uh, Go on. You can get it off the field if you want to. If you can stack it up loose somewhere next to the barn where you can throw it in the barn real quick when, when you know it's safe. And then, you know, you can monitor those temperatures if you want to and and as long as you don't get that spike or once you start seeing the temperatures start to decline, then then you should be good to just go on and stick it in the barn then. Uh, yeah. It's still going to save most of your quality and most of your, uh, most of your 
your spoilage uh, by putting it in the barn, even at that stage. But I, I know one thing that always kind of throws people off, just kind of a little story here. I got a phone call from my dad at 10 o'clock last <laughs> night and uh, he was putting some hay in the barn and it was some, you know, we had some pretty big rain events here in Hardin mm-hmm. County. Daniel, I think you all got a little more in LaRue County. You know, there were some places uh, that I heard that got almost five inches of rain. Wow. <laughs> very right. small amounts, you but, know, very small areas, but, it's a lot of water. And, you know, the ground was pretty moist to begin with. And then you get a, a rain event like that after hay's been baled before it's came off the field. And you can leave it out there for three weeks. And when you pick that bale of hay up, the bottom's still going to be a little damp. Mm-hmm. And so that was the question that, that dad had for me last night. He's like, I'm a little nervous about sticking this in, in the barn and pushing it up tight. He said, you know, it's it's wet. So uh just on the bottom the rest of it was in pretty good shape so i, I think he he stuck a few bales in the shed and then had a little room where he could scatter some out and let it let it dry under roof and uh went on and, and went about it like that but, well and that's i think a lot of the issue is is that folks are trying to get it in the barn before it gets rained on and you know right. if, if that's the situation you know i'd rather have a little bit of rained on hay than i would a barn that's burned down and you know not no hay at all so that's what i tell oh, them yeah and then you know i also i don't know about your all's offices but i also lend out we have temperature probes and moisture probes that folks if they've got questions about it and they don't own one themselves you know which a lot of my producers do but there's several that don't and you know, that always helps. I can take, they can check temperatures periodically just to make sure that they're, you know, in that safe range, which, which, what is that safe range, Matt? Do we know? Moisture or temperature? Temperature. So what we're looking for in hay temperatures, uh, you know, it's not uncommon for that hay to get over a hundred degrees. You would think, Mm -hmm oh my gosh, you're, my hay is 100, 110 degrees. It's getting hot. But that's Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't be allowed rally. in a lot of buildings right now. You'd be quarantined. <laughs> but anyway, that, uh, that hay, uh, even really dry hay, is going to go through a heat. Mm-hmm. All hay goes through a heat of some kind anyway. Uh, it, what we say is anything up to 130 degrees is normal. Mm-hmm. Uh if it pushes that 130 degree mark, you might want to keep checking that temperature. Uh, if it gets up towards 150, that's when we start to get worried. And if it's in the barn at 150 degrees and it and it's uh, still rising, then then we need to get that pulled out until it cools down a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I've even had instances where we've there's some groups in my county that they loose hay, they have loose hay and stock it in a barn, you know, where they can just grab from it and they had issues where it was close to 180 degrees. And I said, y'all better be calling the fire department <laughs> because it was, you know, you, when they tested it, when they first came in, it was only in that 130 degree range. Well, that's, you know, it's going to go through that heat or that sweat, whatever you want to call it. And you've got to, that's why it's important to, to keep an eye on it. Right. And, and we want to keep that hay we want to bale it as dry as possible too, just because on account of mold and, mm-hmm. and that kind of just put up a quality product. Uh, anybody had any snake IDs lately? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I had one yesterday or Daniel and I did, didn't we? I had uh well, actually I had a snake at my back door 
uh, right before we had a little birthday party. Oh, wow. <laughs> and my wife yelled, and I thought I thought she was dead. Like, I thought something happened, and she, like, something oh. fell on her in the garage, so the way she, her, Squall, her yeah. squaw, and, and I went out there, and it was just a little gardener snake. And That's I don't a like good to way to those. keep everybody's social distance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I don't like to kill those kind of snakes, but I kind of had to. Um, yeah. She kind of made me do it, so... Well, and that's that's so important. So Daniel and Whitney's <laughs> Daniel and Whitney's snake ID will tell the story on that one. Uh, I found a, a snake hanging out of a bale of hay yesterday, and I am not a snake person. I refer all snake IDs to our horticulture agent because <laughs> they just give me the creeps. But anyway, uh, so I took a picture of it real quick and sent it to Daniel and Whitney to try and get a quick ID, and they both said that they needed to see the head and i yeah. said there's no way i'm pulling it out of that bale of hay to be able to see you, you're gonna let your customer deal with it is that <laughs> that's right <laughs> i'd say it'll be gone by then <laughs> be careful anybody out there that's gonna be buying hay for Matt. <laughs> well for for what for what it's worth i i would almost guarantee it was just like a rat snake or what you know yeah. cow sucker snake that we what we call them so i don't think it was anything detrimental well, another issue that kind of came down the pike last week that we all were a little bit surprised by was the uh, court ruling over some herbicides that we are, that some of our customers have. Wait, used. wait, wait. Did you say herbicides or herbicides? Herbicides. Are you herb? herb. herb. Well, like, you know, herbicides. herbicides. Herb. I said herbicides. Okay. So now, herbicides. I think you said herb. You didn't pronounce that. I think you said herbicides. Well, I mean, I usually call them herbicides. So maybe okay. I was just in the middle of a. Sorry. <laughs> Whatever. Continue. You can judge me all you want. I don't care. All right. So herbicides that were in, uh, that, that our farmers use, dicamba, extendamax, all of those uh, products that have been they've been kind of controversial throughout the whole process but the the courts finally ruled that that label is no longer valid and so we are yeah, not so, supposed to use them so there was a a court of appeals that uh that ruled a uh, stop order on that label or ruled the EPA to to vacate that label immediately mm -hmm. on June the 3rd which it was a surprise to me, and and I know this had been going on for a while, but I guess I'd been under a rock or asleep or something. I I guess there's been so much controversy with these products that I you've kind of become a little numb to it, mm -hmm. and uh, you know states are doing different regulations and whatnot, and you just kind of kind of go on about okay, well that state's doing that or or whatever, and every state's handling it a little different and you yeah. kind of become a little immune to it and then i i guess i just wasn't paying attention it kind of hit me out of nowhere i did, didn't see this coming and i don't think anybody saw anything this severe coming but mm -hmm. uh definitely a, a big hit to, to soybean boosters across the united states uh you know in this world we have uh glyphosate resistant uh water hemp and uh and palmer amaranth but you know we're not really in one of those traditional hot spots uh like eastern part of the state boot hill in missouri that part of the world mm -hmm. is uh so i mean it just really could be devastating out out in there yeah well even the people that follow this a lot it did it did catch them off guard and luckily we've got somebody joining us today that 
knows more about it than we do. Today we have with us Dr. Travis Leglider, extension weed specialist based out of Princeton. Uh, we've got a lot of things going on in the herbicide world this last uh, week or 10 days that he's going to talk with us about. Travis, thanks for coming on today. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Would you like to just start out, kind of give a little bit of a background about how long you've been here and kind of what your primary responsibilities are as, as extension weed specialists? Yeah, no problem. So uh, I, I started here at the University of Kentucky. It would have been three years ago. It would have been July 1, uh, 2017 was uh, my first day here. Um, so I, I'm the extension weed specialist uh, based in Princeton, Kentucky here at the UK REC. And uh, what, what I am focusing on, uh, my, my main specialties are weed control and corn, soybean and wheat. Um, and, and within that, uh, you know, obviously herbicide resistant weeds, that's, got, that's a big topic that we focus on. Uh, and the other thing that uh, we've been focusing on quite a bit with my program, I brought with me um, for my um, past uh, endeavors was looking at herbicide application technology. So looking at different types of application techniques or different types of nozzles and uh, not only how those affect drift, but how they're affecting how our herbicides are getting to their targets. We've been doing quite a bit of work on that and hope to continue to do quite a bit of that as well. And uh, in the future, looking at some alternative weed control methods. Uh, so hopefully um, we got some of that stuff in the work. So uh, trying to go outside of just herbicides, but look at some different uh, areas of how to control these herbicide resistant weeds. Uh, as Kentucky, we, we have plenty of them. Well, and I will say, right. if you've ever been in one of Dr. Leglider's programs, you have a neat spray application demonstration that is really neat. So if you're ever at one of your programs, I mean, I know you've been to our county. I'm, I think you were at the spray meeting this spring with uh, Matt and mm -hmm. Daniel. It's a, yep. it's a really cool thing to see. It, it's, it shows you right there, you know, proper techniques and different techniques on spraying. Yeah, yeah, but and we're we're going to continue to do that meeting, um, and hope to continue to improve it as well. So I think mm -hmm. every year I've learned um, some new techniques to use and uh, uh, strive to continue to 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 improve it. So, so speaking of uh, herbicide resistant weeds, one of the the biggest tools we've had in the toolbox recently, the last couple of years, have been. Uh, the dicamba tolerant soybeans and some of these newer dicamba products. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, had a little bit of a hiccup come up with those here in the last week or 10 days or so uh, with a court ruling that's that's come down. And even just as, as late as last night, some clarification from the EPA uh, regarding those products. Would you like to give just a quick overview of, of what happened and and where we're at this morning. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so uh, as of June third, uh, that's when the Ninth Circuit Court uh, made their ruling, and so that court case had been going on for quite a while. So um, everybody knew a ruling was coming. Um, I, I think that uh, what the ruling was was a little bit of a surprise, and that was that they um, ordered the EPA to vacate those labels. So um, it wasn't to change them; it was to completely vacate those labels. Um, and so when that happened. And uh, there, there was a lot of confusion because um, uh, we really haven't had one of these happen. Um, it, it's happened before, but for this to happen right in the middle of the growing season, right when guys are literally out there making applications of these products. And so uh, the court ruled that it was effective immediately 
um, but there was a lot of different interpretations and it was based state to state. Um, so, uh, you know, I immediately reached out to the KDA and they said, we're looking into it, but we're not sure. And uh, everyone's stance was kind of, we're waiting for the EPA to tell us what this means and what to do. Um, you know, the state of Kentucky, uh, the KDA said, um, at this point in time, we're just going to keep moving forward as normal until we hear from the EPA. Um, you know, University of Kentucky or a weed myself as a weed scientist, we just said, we're just going to stop recommending it for the time being until we get further notice. So uh, we weren't saying don't spray it, but it just was not our recommendation. But uh, last night we got, we finally got some clarification from the EPA and what that was, was that uh, they are vacating those labels uh, with, with a few stipulations. So um, producer that already had in their possession, one of these three products uh, could still apply it uh, under the past um, label restrictions until July 31st. Yeah, I know that was a big question that we had, that we were getting. And then you've also had the folks at your companies that are selling it, they've got it sitting there and it's already purchased. Do they allow the people to even pick it up? You know, there were a lot of those, there was a lot of confusion surrounding that. So I'm glad there was some clarification that came out. So uh, there were some, some questions out there about, uh, of course, if you have product on hand, the, the uh, new EPA direct directive that's come down has said that you can use that product. Uh, what about if, you know, you haven't purchased that product yet, but you were uh, needing to, uh, you need to make an application later this summer. Can you, if a store still has that on hand, can you purchase it? Or does that inventory that the store has on hand have to be uh, applied by a commercial applicator? So, yes, uh, it, anything that a store still has it on hand has to be applied by their commercial applicators. So that that's the other stipulation. So really, the only way we can apply these products is if the farmer already owned it or uh, if it's being applied by a commercial applicator and what they had in their stock. And this is all effective as of uh, June 3rd. So uh, if they didn't have it purchased or have it on hand on June 3rd, uh, they're not gonna be able to apply it. So um, so the stores, uh, we do know that there's some stores in the state that just would sell to farmers and have it on hand and they don't have commercial applicators for those stores. Um, the only distribution they can do is to get, is to send it back to the companies at this point in time. So uh, that, that's kind of the worst case scenario. But for those guys that had already purchased it, um, they, they are still allowed to, to spray it. And the other thing I should, and I, sh I should back up here a little bit and mention, uh, this ruling is for Extendamax, Ingenia, and Fexapan. It does not include Tavium. So Tavium was not in the original 2018 registration package. It came on later, it came on last year. And so it kind of got excluded from this whole deal. And so it can still be applied um, as normal um, throughout the rest of the season. So those other products, uh, the guys that do have them on hand and can apply them, uh, the cutoff is July 31st on those. But Tavium is available 
essentially through December but, 31st at this point. But do time, you so. think you could find a bottle of Tavium in, in the country right now if you wanted to? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm guessing uh, as soon, I, I think probably by Friday, <laughs> yeah, most of that stuff is gone uh, because of that. So, um, and so, so another comment that I'll make on all of this is uh, all of these labels, all four labels expired anyway on december 31st of 2020 um so all four of them were set to expire and the epa was going to have to uh renew them and and they were already working on that process for all four of them with some different stipulations so uh th this vacate that vacating these three labels doesn't necessarily mean that the technology is dead um we really don't know. Uh, I'd say it's going to make it a lot harder for them to get new labels in 21. But either way, there was going to be have to be new labels in 21. These ended in 2020 anyway. So uh, we're just in kind of, in a way we're ending the Ingenia Extendamax and Fexapan labels about six, five to six months early. Which, in my opinion, after July 31st, we really should be spraying mm -hmm. dicamba anyway. Um, so, uh, for a lot of these guys, it's it just a matter of if they had purchased it yet or not. And, um, you know, the assumption is most of these custom applicators had what they needed on hand anyway. Um, uh, but, um, for those guys, they'll, they'll really just need to prioritize the product towards the acres that have water hemp or polymer because, uh, those are the acres that really need. Well, and I guess my question is a little bit, and I'm not really sure that you would even have the answer yet, but going forward in 2021 you know once these since they are off the market now and not able to use and you do have the issues with the palmer and the water hemp that we do have in the in the state you know what what are we then going to work towards recommending if there is a recommendation yeah so right yeah so moving forward um you know just uh, thinking about if we don't have these new dicamba labels on those acres with water hemp or palmer amaranth uh there are options i mean we have the llgt 27 soybeans you have the enlist e3 soybeans and then you still have your traditional mm -hmm. liberty link soybeans so with all three of those systems one option you have in all three of those systems is liberty or glufosinate there's uh, several generics of glufosinate at this point in time but um that product works really well on water and Palmer mm -hmm. as long as you get it on timely. It, it does a really good job against it. So, um, and, and with each of those systems, or at least with the Enlist and the LLGT27 systems, you still have the glyphosate option as well to control all of your other weeds and control grasses. Because we know Liberty's not, right. it's mm -hmm. not the best on grasses and everybody knows it, but you still have the sure. glyphosate package there as well. And then with the Enlist E3 system, you also have, you also have, 240 yeah. available to you as well so that's probably the most flexible system because you have two different post options that are going to control these troublesome weeds so we do have options and i would assume that uh, even without the herbicides there's mm -hmm. going to be extend beans yeah. around next year because i'm sure they're already getting them growing up um and, and those still have some utility uh just basically as roundup ready soybeans uh, uh, on those acres that don't have uh, these resistant weeds on them. Um, so there, there's still some utility. Well, that's there. good because I know we'll, it, it basically just going to have to go back to some of the ones that we were working on previously is kind of some of the things I was already telling yeah. my farmers because yeah. I've already had a couple of calls. <laughs> so what are some options if you already have the extend beans planted, uh, 
if there's for some reason a commercial i'm sure commercial applicators are about to get really busy they were busy already but you know if they're the only ones that can spray this inventory that's left on hand what would be your recommendation if if there's a situation that comes out that you just can't get that extend to my actor that dicamba product uh sprayed over the top as we go into the to the summer here yeah and that's certainly a situation uh we think is gonna happen i don't know how often it's gonna happen but i'm sure it's gonna happen and uh in those situations uh the hope is is that there isn't any palmer water hemp up yet and if that has occurred and if uh, the farmers have listened to me and have applied a residual already. Um, uh, the hope is that it hasn't broken. And if you're in that situation, what we would recommend is doing an overlapping residual, which is a little bit different than what I usually talk about. Usually I talk about just putting a residual in with the post application, but an overlapping residual is literally going out there before your first pre-breaks and putting on another one uh, to overlap it and continue that residual cycle. So uh, products that we can do that with would be stuff like Dual 2 Magnum, uh, Zidua, Outlook, um, and there's a couple of others. Prefix is another one, um, and Anthem Max. Those would be products that we can put it, put down, and those all have group 15s in them. Uh, there's a lot of, there, there's some growth stage restrictions, and also if you had a pre-down that had a similar active in it, there's going to be max rates we can put out there, but um, you sh guys should be seeing an article coming out this week in KPN, uh, the Kentucky Best News, as well as K um, kybygrains.info, uh, where we get you give you a lot of that info. Now, uh, another scenario, though, is the water hemp and palmer mm -hmm. are already up, and your extend beans are up. And that, that's the situation, that really is the worst case situation. Um, the only option that farmer really has is, is the PPO inhibitors. And that's something like Flexstar, that's probably your best option, uh, Cobra or Ultra Blazer. Uh, you know, Cobra and Ultra Blazer will give you some control, but their Ultra Blazer probably is the weakest out of, out of those three. Uh, and, and the fact is, we have a lot of water hemp that has PPO resistance. And, and for you guys, where you are at, um, my interpretation is there's quite a bit of PPO resistance in your area in water hemp. And the Palmer may not be, um, but certainly there's probably some populations out there, Palmer, that have PPO resistance. And in that case, uh, that farmer really has no herbicide options. So um, if they wanna try them, if they wanna try those PPOs, the Flexstars, Cobras, or Blazers, um, but our recommendations would be get it on as small of a weed as you can, uh, less than four inches, uh, get your spray volume up 15 to 20 gallons per acre and use medium sized droplets that helps us get the coverage we need. Uh, now, again, if the, if the population's already resistant, that really doesn't help us much at all. Um, and for those farmers, there's not a lot of options. Um, it's all going to be mechanical options at that point in time. Um, or hand roguing, which nobody <laughs> likes. To no, do that from but I unfortunately, don't like, I, I don't even like doing that in my garden. I know, I was say, <laughs> let alone but, in, a, in a field. But I know it could. It, there's, I know of one specific farmer that ended up having to do that last year. He was not happy about it, but he did. Yeah, and, and that's by far the yeah. most expensive option. Um, mm -hmm. if, if you're hiring it out, um, I, I, I've heard rates of hundred dollars an acre. So um, that. 25 $30 an acre pre sounds yeah. pretty cheap. Well, and I think the good news is I know in this area, uh, 
especially with the farmers in my county, a lot of them were were running overlapping residuals anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't really know of anybody offhand that was relying on a dicamba product to uh, specifically as their uh, post application. Most of them were planting the beans mainly because that's the the newest technology mm-hmm. and the and the kind of latest and greatest uh, varieties that were out and managing them like they were a, a Roundup Ready 2 or just a regular Roundup bean anyway, and then just using the dicamba products for a, for a rescue treatment if they needed to later on if, if something ran out or, or whatever. I would say that's probably the case in my county as well because there were there were several farmers that wanted to use the newest technology, but they were scared of the actual herbicide treatment. They were afraid of the drift and all of that, so they purchased the beans and they, they planted the beans, but they didn't always use the, the herbicide control methods on it. They used their normal protocol. Yeah, And, it, and Dr. Leglider, I'll, I'll give you some credit on that. You and Dr. Mm-hmm. Green both, because I, the two of you were really proactive when this yes. technology was coming yes. out about making sure that guys were, were continuing to do that, not relying solely on these products. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that helps us tremendously with resistance management um you know the the continuing to use residual herbicides uh helps us a lot with resistance management because we do know that we can select resistance to dicamba um you can select for for 24d and the same thing for liberty you know i can list all the herbicides right um they're all prone to it so yeah continuing to use those residuals and that that's good to hear that guys are are doing that so um it's a real positive to hear. Well, I've got a, I've got an off-topic question. Is it raining there yet? <laughs> it is raining here, so it's uh, it's kind of on and off. So I don't know how much we've gotten yet, but uh, it is it is raining here. So um, yeah, I know, we're I know a lot of we're. It, I know a lot of guys were pushing to get the the last of the soybeans, including me, um, in before mm-hmm. this hit. <laughs> Yeah, one of our one of our hosts here on this show made us about ten minutes late trying to get started. <laughs> well, well, I'll have you up. know that that as I look out the window right now, it just started here. So I'm glad yeah. I finished the field I was in. <laughs> you all <laughs> waited for me a few. <laughs> well, Doctor Leglider, we're really appreciative that you came on. We know this is a timely topic and one that's probably going to change and have moving parts throughout the summer and and going forward as far as what we can do to help our farmers and help with weed control. So we really appreciate your, your time this morning. We know it's, we know you're, you're running 20 different directions over the same topic. Yeah, no problem. No, I'm glad to come on. I'm glad you guys had me on. Yep. And as, as we go through this and some more develops later on in the summer and going into 2021, we'll probably bring you back if that's yeah. all right. Yeah, no, I'd be glad to come on and uh, talk about that and anything else weed control related. All right. Well, thanks a lot. We'll see you later. Thank you. Well, that was a pretty good informational piece from Dr. Travis Legolator. He is very well versed in all of this. And like you said, he's been dealing with this since he came to UK and, you know, it was good to have him on to. Yeah. He got baptized by fire. He jumped right in when when that stuff came out and then, and now, you know, he's he's pretty on top of it. Mm -hmm. Um, it's basically I always been, it's, said it might as well be a job title, right? Yeah, I mean, right. That's right. 
I always said that if he'd hang around through uh, all we've put him through in Kentucky with Dicamba in the first three years he was here, then I, I think he's here here to stay. I don't yeah. think he's going to run away anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to point out as well, that's uh, three that I can think of offhand, specialists that we've stolen from I-State universities. And that's mm-hmm. something that I'm always really proud of. And any of my buddies in the Corn Belt always try and, try and rub that in. That, mm-hmm. uh that we stole some from the, from the big boys. Yeah. Well, and, and he didn't mention it, but his, uh, he brought along another plant pathologist with him when he moved. So, you know, and she was, I think they both did some work at Purdue as well. And so I think that that's really good for us. And especially in the Western part of the state that just goes to show that we are investing in that and we're investing in the research for grain crops and, the like there in in our state that's right and i mean you know we made a big deal out of this grain forage center of excellence everybody sees that Mm -hmm. as the building but a a big part of that center uh was hiring some key people into that place and Mm -hmm. we've really brought some some good specialists that i think that's a big part of the reason that we got them is they Mm -hmm. saw what we were doing at that princeton center and uh and we got them here. And you mentioned Dr. Kirsten Wise. She's mm-hmm. a plant pathologist. We'll definitely probably try and get her on yep. later on in the summer when we get closer to to uh, making decisions for mm-hmm. for disease control and yeah. some grain crops. It'll it'll be here before we know it. I don't know about you all, but this uh, this weather event from the south has kind of made me a little nervous because usually that <laughs> brings, you know, we're probably not quite there yet, but usually there's some sort of weather event that brings in southern rust and some of those types of diseases from don't the south. I didn't. I'm not saying it. I'm just I'm just being proactive about it. So you just you know, especially on the landscape side and some of the fruit trees and stuff. And I'm sure we're getting ready to get bombarded with some yeah, calls about that. fruits left most of the fruit's yeah, gone i know <laughs> didn't make the freeze especially well, yeah. here in central kentucky i think western yeah. kentucky is a little better off yeah so you know there have been some some good uh some good hires at princeton but we've also mm-hmm. got some good uh some good people that are doing great things here locally too. yes and yep. uh we're going to take this time to turn the program a little bit and we're going to talk to a local ag teacher mr chris thomas from LaRue County High School. Would you like to give a little introduction about yourself and tell us about uh, how long you've been here and a little bit about your background? Uh, I've been at LaRue County just finishing up year number seven. Seven years. So really, real quick, I think me and you, maybe you started a year before I was kind of in the county. I know when I started with the Young Farmer Program, was that maybe your second year of teaching? I think so. Yeah, so cool. Anyway, sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, that's fine. I graduated the University of Kentucky in 2013. That spring, I got a, came here and was subbing in the ag room that I'm in now and got hired in July. So I've been here since July, officially July of 2013. I grew up on a dairy farm in Campbellsville, Taylor County. Grew up there on a dairy farm. Always had a few chickens and pigs as well growing up. Showed, showed dairy cows as well. And that uh, had the opportunity to go to University of Kentucky to get my degree in career and technical education and haven't looked back since. With COVID and how all of that happened and transpired this spring, how did you all kind of handle that? I, I mean, I know we have had discussion off air and we've actually dealt 
with some of those things that have happened. So how did you all as an FFA group and um, as an ag teacher deal with that? All right. Well, I guess first off, I'm not the only teacher. So there's two ag teachers there in LaRue County. So, so through COVID, I mean, uh, that that's something that, that obviously for everybody has been unprecedented. And I guess even though I'm the younger teacher at, at our department, I probably struggle most with online anything. So for me, it's been more of a struggle than maybe it was for her. My co-teacher is Misty Bivens. So she she was the one really helping, hey, these are some things that we should be doing. Here are some resources. She really found most of those and try to implement them the best we could. But um, for the classes that I teach, it, it I'm still, I mean, I'm, I might spend all summer trying to wrap my head around what might this look like if if something like this happens again? Because right. it did not go how I would have hoped for, how I would have liked for, for the content that I really wanted to get across. Because we really just got to the point in the time of the year where, you know what, we're getting ready to to go full on project stuff. So mm-hmm. it's hard to kind of teach all that basis and then get ready for the project stuff and then them not get to get to put all the things that they've learned to practice. So they're, they're missing a practice step, which to me and to them, is probably the most fun. Yeah. And probably as important as anything. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. So, so COVID um, did not treat, just like everybody else, did not treat us very well, me very well. The online, looking at my computer screen all the time. I mean, headaches, I mean, just stuff I wasn't used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zoom. So for FFA stuff, I had to figure out Zoom, uh, which, which, was fairly simple and I've also figured out all the other uh, virtual meeting platforms the Microsoft and the Google one whatever it is yeah, I never knew there were that many out there I didn't either <laughs> it's like everybody's got their own their own video yeah. chat yeah. stuff now yes yes now, I think I don't know how Zoom makes their money with it but I'd say they've they've been successful with, with they have all to this. have been yeah yeah but uh, yeah so uh so, so Zoom allowed us to, to continue on. We were, before we got out for COVID, the day before our regional FFA mm-hmm. contest, one school says, and we were still in school, one school says, hey, mm-hmm. our principal's not going to let us go. So I'm the regional chair there, and I had to make the decision that was like, okay, we're going to cancel it. It was not well received at all. It was not well received from a, definitely a few schools. They were very mm-hmm. upset, but no school would want it to have been them. Right. Uh, that had to miss that next day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we rescheduled right. it and we, and we moved it to online. Um, and that's how the state's going to be held too for those speaking contests. Uh, and you guys, a couple of you guys judged, uh, I think it was a success for the way we had to do it. Yes. We might not have had the, the, the maybe the numbers that we would have had if it was in person and a kid got to miss school, but nonetheless, uh, the, the quality was, was still there and the kids at the top, I mean, they were, they found a way to, to show up and do their thing. I right. will say it was pretty flawless com- considering the amount of people that you had to have and what it took to pull that off. So kudos to you all for doing yeah, that I on think, such quick notice. I even think it went smoother than, than when it is in person. I <laughs> in thought person? it was, it was, it, it just, it went good. It went really well. And all the kids were, did really well. And I think it's, you know, it, you, we think about this as like, oh, well, you know, it's not like we normally have it. But for these kids to be able to adapt, I mean, they had to adapt to this situation mm-hmm. also. And that's a that's a valuable life lesson that we may discount. 
Well, I will, I will say that was one thing from COVID that, that has been interesting is, hey, we found out, we've, we have found lots of different ways to do things. Mm-hmm. Um, I know uh, this year we didn't have our greenhouse sales or any, any type of greenhouse sales because we were in the process of building a new greenhouse. Uh, but for the, the, the ag, ag school, the, the ag departments that have greenhouses that had to figure out, hey, how do you sell online? They've reached another avenue. Uh, right. I mean, so have the people that are doing it for a living. I mean, you go out there, I, I went to some of our local greenhouses, at least Garden Center, and I was talking with them, and, and they were a little bit apprehensive, I think, to, to start online. But then the next thing you know, they're going online, and it's like people are coming online and spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars where maybe their purchases wouldn't have been near that when they were in person. So right. I think they have really figured out ways. Lots of people have had to figure out ways, other ways to reach different groups. And I think it, some of that stuff has been a huge success for everybody. I think. Mm-hmm. I would agree. So you brought up the greenhouse and we'll, we'll talk about that for a little bit. I know um, uh, that's been a big, big project for you all and a much needed upgrade. What's the way I understand it, and, I, and you know, I've, I've been around you a little bit and have talked to you some about this, but you're you're doing aquaponics at this greenhouse. Do you mind to tell us a little bit about aquaponics? Uh, aquaponics. So the, the first part of aquaponics is, uh, I guess it would stem from like aquaculture, which mm-hmm. is a raising of fish in tanks or in ponds or whatnot, uh, but just fish. And then hydroponics. Uh, hydroponics is using water to grow plants. Uh, so at our school, we have a mix of both. We have the fish that we're growing and recirculating tanks. And then with that, we are growing, uh, what's helping filter that is the plants, the produce, uh, mainly, mainly lettuce. And is that a fairly new project that you all have just started us, or have you been yes. Okay. Uh, for us, yes, but uh, it's something that's been going on for hundreds of years. It goes back and- to, to the Aztecs, I think. That's neat. Man, so, that goes back. So, <laughs> yeah. So, what's your plan with the lettuce? Is it going to be used the, the, in the, the school plan, system or for sale? The plan for lettuce is is to create all the le- uh, have all the lettuce for the entire school district. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. And that's then the, plan, the fish. And then on top of that, still have some to sell to the public. Uh, okay. And you know. When we started this project, the kid came to me. He's, we were supposed to be doing a hydroponic lesson in my greenhouse class. And a uh, kid said, Mr. Thomas, can I do an aquaponics project? I'm like, no, if that has anything to do with fish, I'm out. I think it's better. <laughs> Back to your hydroponics lesson and let's get it done. He's like, no, Mr. Thomas, this would be really good. I was like, you heard what I said. Like, look, you're doing it this way. <laughs> well, I just thought he was doing his work. He kept on. He's like, Mr. Thomas, I sent you a video. I said, okay, I- I'll watch it. He asked me the next day, Mr. Thomas, did you watch the video? Uh, no, no, I didn't have a chance to watch it. I think that went on for like two or three days. He asked me if I watched the video. Finally, I watched the video, and I'm like, all right, go ahead. Do do, do aquaponics, and we'll see what it's about. Uh, needless to say, we started with a 100-gallon water tank, and, and now we're, we have um, four 500-gallon tanks, 400-gallon tank. Uh, we got tanks everywhere, uh, and this all come from some student idea. This was not something – this was not my brainchild because I'm not that smart, but uh, – he, he, he showed us a way we talk about local food um, and, and supporting local food. This is local food 365 days of the year. We're not just talking about it. We're not just preaching about it. We're doing it. Yeah. Uh, so, so I think that's what's going to be neat. 
And some people say it's a bad part. Some people say it's a good part. 365. I mean, I guess it's not exactly like milking cows because they don't smell quite as bad when I get done. Uh, working <laughs> cows, but I mean, it, it, that's what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. That's the tough part. So uh, next to the greenhouse, you have like a kind of an area uh, for education also. Are, are you going to be bringing like non-ag students in and showing them things? I hope everybody comes. Right. Uh, the goal is for everybody to come. I want everybody to be able to see it and to see what local food looks like, to see what kids are doing, uh, to see what they could do. Uh, hopefully parts of it will be to, to, to what, okay, any, any homeowner would be like, you know what, I could take take part to this or part to that, and I could do this at home. Uh, my, my dad has some little uh, kids that come to the house sometimes and show some 4-H animals, and they were here yesterday working with some animals or doing something. and. Uh, they were telling me that they had like a little aeroponics and hydroponic system set up at their house. So we talked about it for an hour. That's uh, great. And showing them different things they could do and different ways they could try things and put them on some different resources. So, so it, it's, it's real neat. I, I agree. So you've got some sheep, <laughs> right? They're yours, right? Mr. Thomas. <laughs> they're, they're not my sheep. No. What? <laughs> for those of you on the, if that can't I wouldn't see claim us, them either. <laughs> Matt just rolled his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, we, we joke on Matt because he's he's not a member of the Sheep Club, but uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, <laughs> I guess I guess your sheep belong to your wife, so I guess we'll we'll leave that alone then. But what about chickens? Did did you say you, you, you do have chickens? Well, they're all chicks right now. Okay, uh, I built the kids something to put put some chickens in, and we filled it up. Hmm. Uh, we crabs <laughs> lying around on the farm and. We just put something together on top on a wagon flat. So are you in, are you all in competition with C and A eggs? No, I don't No, No. Okay. I was just checking. <laughs> I'm just making sure. Yes, that as well. No, we're not competition. <laughs> I, I, actually, I actually, like I said, when you got kids, you, you try to find some way to keep them busy and hope they don't spend all their time uh, playing on a tablet or something. So right. um, the cows, uh, Maybe sometimes they're too much, uh, mm-hmm. but my youngest one's one, and he can pick up a baby chick. He mm-hmm. might. We don't know what he's going to do with it when he picks it up. <laughs> <laughs> baby chick. Uh, he's liable to be getting a cup and have chicken feed all around all around the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, but but he can do that. Whereas a cow, even a calf, is a little bit. I mean, he can't even really hold a calf bottle yet to feed a calf. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, chickens are chickens are for all. So uh, that's. That was an easy start with chickens. I just give them some responsibility, feed, water, clean, whatever we got to do. So uh, that's the purpose of the chickens. Not really. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, I guess I'd probably need to make a little money on them. But at the end of the day, as long as they're learning something from it, and getting some enjoyment out of it, maybe some responsibility. Uh, I it, it was it was more than the money I could have spent teaching them otherwise. I think I'm not supposed to be biased because I'm an extension <laughs> agent, and everything that I say is based in research. But I think you can do the research, and Larue County's it's got one of the best, if not the best, ag program in the state. So it, uh, you know I, your kids are going to go to Central Park, right? <laughs> <laughs> it just depends where I live at when they're in high school. I was going to say I'm I, I can't I I'm I'm sure all of them are great, they but are. I'm an alum of Breckenridge County and I have work in Bre- Grayson, so I can't. I, I, I'm Ooh. sure they're wonderful. They're all wonderful. I, I will say as an ag teacher at Larue County, every program has neat things to offer for their mm-hmm. students. Yeah, every absolutely. Every community. 
if we all did the same things and love the same things, we would just bicker back and forth. But each person, each each teacher, each program has their own little niche, and uh, we do things that work for us. Not all things are the same. I'll go ahead and guarantee you that. Um, so I won't pull out the stick and say we're better than everybody else, and maybe at some things we might be. Uh, but uh, for the most part, hey, everybody has something solid to offer, and you know what? You just try to learn from each other, and hopefully uh, share with share some of your successes with people. Like I said, for the aquaponics things that we're doing, I invite everybody to come. Uh, mm-hmm. I know John Harden has picked up on it and done some stuff. People are like, are you upset? Absolutely not. That's the point. We do this so that other people, if, if it's a good idea, why would we want not want our neighbor to do it? Well, that's right. competition. Well, everybody's got to eat. And so what if, if, if I lose out on a dollar because I taught somebody how to eat or how right. to grow their own food? So, We'll, we'll let the competition, we'll leave that for something else, not for learning how to feed yourself. That's an excellent way yeah, to look at that it. That is, absolutely. Well, Mr. Thomas, I, I do appreciate you joining us today. And I wanted to say thanks to, to you and Misty both. You all have always involved Extension um, in your classrooms and uh, have always been open to uh, to working together on things. And you all do, you all do great work. And thank you for all you do. And as you know, if there's anything you need, just holler at me. Thank you, Daniel, and thank you other uh, agents as well for all you do for your, for your communities. And I know it's looking odd right now at this tough time, but the pastures are greening up. So hopefully we'll, we'll see something <laughs> better in the future, I guess. Good deal. Uh, so thank you. guys. We appreciate it. Thank you, Mr. Uh, Thomas. Thanks. All right. See you guys. See ya. Uh, been a great show. We've heard we've had a lot of good uh, mm-hmm. comments from, from Travis and from Chris and appreciate them taking the time with us today. And, I guess that's going to do it for this week. Yeah. Well, we'll see y'all next week. Have a good y'all.